We continue the Shir in Navi. Rabban Benavot was told by Achia Hashilini. Achia Hashilini, we explained, was one of the greatest Neviim, one of the greatest prophets that ever lived. Achia Hashilini was the Rebbe of Eliyahu Hanavi. Achia Hashilini was the Rebbe of Rabbi Shimon Ben Yechoyzel. And this is the reason, this is the secret hidden reason why in the Zayir HaKadosh we find that Eliyar Navi addresses Rabbi Shimon Yechoyzel as Rebbe. After all, he is the one in the Gemara, throughout the Gemara we find he comes down to earth to teach rabbis of the Gemara. How come he addresses it, Rabbi Shimon Yechoyzel as Rebbe? That's because they both had the same Rebbe, and Rabbi Shimon Yechoyzel on a sort of higher level because Rabbi Shimon Yechoyzel also had part of the neshama of Achia Hashilani within himself, as is brought in the Zayi Kodesh. Achia Hashilani told Yudavim Benavot the news that he was appointed, selected, as king of the ten tribes. It was a decision of Hashem to tear away from the family of King David ten of the tribes of Israel, and Yudavim Benavot was chosen as the first one. Why was Yudavim Benavot selected as the first king? A selection made by Hashem. Obviously, the Gemara says, because of his greatness. Yudavim Benavot was so great, so high a Talmud Chacham, a Tzaddik, so great in the study of Torah that no one could match him. The Gemara says that when Achia Hashilini and Yudavim Benavot got together, there were literally sparks, heavenly sparks. In the Torah they discussed, so advanced was their knowledge in the deepest recesses of the Torah secrets. And so Yerav was chosen as king, but as we mentioned too, due to his desire to retain this kingdom, and his fear that the Jews of the ten tribes he controlled would return to the rule of Rechavon, the son of Shlomo HaMelech, because in Rechavon's power was the section of the Beis HaMikdash. All people who wanted to bring korbanos, sacrifices on the holidays, would have to go to the Beis HaMikdash, and there they might be lured back as subjects of the Chavah. In order to avoid this, Yerav Menavot stooped so low that he erected calves, same as the Egel HaZahov, golden calf, he erected two calves to serve as idols for the Jews to worship. One on both ends of his kingdom, and this is how he achieved the famous or infamous title of Chetei Umachti, one who sins and one who causes others to sin. Well, the Torah tells us that one day, Yerobam Benavot was standing personally on top of the Mizbeach, offering a korban to the Avedezorah, to the idol. This is a story brought here in Navi. It is also an outstanding story because it is brought the last chapter of the Zayra Kodesh. This is the final statement, the story, final statement of the Vishumi Ben-Yechoi Zal on the day of his passing. Just before he passed away, Vishumi Ben-Yechoi Zal quoted this story and the lesson that is gleaned from this story. The Navi tells us that Yav Manoah was standing worshipping this idol and a Navi came to him, this Navi's name was Adai. Adai Hanavi came before him, stood before him, and he began to reprimand him. He said to him, you were selected by Hashem as his chosen one to rule over the Jews. You were so close to Hashem. 
You had the fear of Hashem, the knowledge of the title within you. You were a perfect tzaddik, a perfect leader. Now you have turned away from Hashem, you dared to disobey Hashem, you dared to teach, to preach kfira, atheism. You know what the result will be for you. You began to threaten him, and at that point, Yerav Benavot lost his patience. He reached out his hand to strike at Adar Hanavi. And as he did, his hand shriveled suddenly. It shrank. Yerav Benavot was petrified. It was a horrible sight to see his hand shrink that way. And he cried out and said to Adar Hanavi, You are a holy person. My tefillahs are in vain. But you, please pray for me that my hand be cured. Adar Hanavi, as a Navi, as a leader, as an Isha Chesed, despite the fact that he came there to punish Yiravim, could not contain himself. The kindness came, poured out to him. It was a spell of Hashem. And the hand of Yiravim and Amat returned to normalcy. At this point, Rabbi Shema Yechayizal states, his last words in the Zaydi Kodesh, he says, Note, note how Hashem insists that the covet the honor, the respect for a tzaddik, be even greater than the covet and honor for Hashem himself. This is part of the greatness of Hashem Kaviachal. As we say in the place of Hashem's greatness, at its greatest point, you find the modesty, Kaviachal, the anivus of Hashem. Because here Yerav was standing on this altar, worshipping an idol, Worshipping means that he was offering a sacrifice. He was very occupied with both hands serving this idol. Both hands going against, directly contrary to Emunah and Hashem. And despite this, nothing happened to his hands. He was opposing Hashem in thought and in action. Nothing at all happened to his hands. The minute he raised his hand against the tzaddik, suddenly, immediately, instantly, Hashem took revenge from him. And his hand shrank, his hand shriveled up. To show that Hashem avenges the covet of the tzaddik far quicker than Hashem avenges his own covet. This was the message of Yeshua Yechoyazal taught as a lesson from this story. And that is why in Pirkei Avos it says that have a zohi bigachalton pentikover. Be careful of the Talmidei Chachamim because they are like hot coals. Don't touch them because you will be singed. You can be burnt on the spot. It may not mean physically, but it certainly does mean spiritually. A person's neshama can be destroyed by antagonizing, going against a tzaddik imus. At this point, the Rebbe Menavot, realizing the truth, begged Adai Hanavi now to come with him to his palace where he would serve him a meal. It was customary in those days to be very hospitable. And Adai Hanavi refused this offer. He rejected the offer very adamantly, very solemnly, stating that he had received a direct message from heaven as a prophet with a warning. And under no conditions is he permitted to eat in this section. He must leave, get out of this section of the city, and only then may he eat or drink. Until then he is required to fast. And so he left Yerav Benavot and started out on his journey down the road, leaving the city. At that moment, the tater tells us there was 
a false prophet. Those days there were the Nevi'e Habal, the false prophets, Nevi'e Sheker, who considered themselves, called themselves prophets. They came forth with false prophecy from their idols. And of course, a large proportion of the Jews listened to them, believed in them. But this false prophet was notified by his sons who had witnessed this scene about the strange scene where Adai had performed this miracle with Yerav Menavot's hand. And he also stated the fact that he overheard Adai being invited to a meal by the king. Adai refused and left. This false prophet said, let me go after him. He saddled his mule, he was an old man, he rode himself to meet this Navi Adal, and after a short ride he found him sitting under a tree, the shade of a tree. He descended, dismounted, and he approached Adal Hanavi and said to him, I want to personally invite you to come back to the city, come into my house for a meal. The Navi Adal replied, I'm very sorry, I appreciate your offer, but I have received direct orders from heaven that I am forbidden to partake of any food or drink in this city. This false prophet, the Navi HaSheker, said, I happen to be a Navi too, and I have received a message from heaven through Malach countermanding your order. I was told distinctly to notify you that your order has been rescinded. You must come to my home and you must eat. This is a prophecy from heaven. Adar HaNavi listened to him, for whatever reason, he apparently did not detect that this was a false prophet. He returned with him to his home. He sat down with him. He accepted the meal, food and drink that was offered to him. And then at the completion of the meal, this false prophet stood up and said to him, I have a message from heaven. And this is a real message. A prophecy had come down. Titus says the prophecy came down from heaven. And the prophecy came to the false prophet directly from heaven rather than to the true prophet Adai The prophecy stated was that it is the word of Hashem because you, Adai have refused to obey, disobey the command of Hashem. You have eaten in this city, therefore you will not come to a peaceful end. You will die a violent death. With this, Adonavi had no choice, no alternative. He felt very sad, and he left. But before we get to the story further, what happened to Adonavi further, the Gemara says, let's analyze this point. And something that's very interesting for us, too. How come that this prophecy came to a false prophet? When have we ever found that Hashem would speak to a false prophet, especially when there is a good prophet present at the time? True, of course, we find some cases exceptional case is the case of Milo where Hashem sent a Malach to him. It doesn't say Hashem spoke, it says Lekim, which means through a Malach. But here was a case where you had a Tzaddik, Adai Hanavi, who admittedly, let's say, transgressed one time. He did one thing that was wrong through an error. You had next to him a prophet who was completely false, and there's no comparing these two, naturally. You saw the Havda between the two. So for this one transgression, True prophecy, the word of Hashem was transferred from Adai Hanavi, a tzaddik, to a false prophet? It isn't logical. The Gemara answers, let us see how powerful is Kecho How powerful, how great, how vast is this mitzvah of Hachnasa Sechem, if it is done with sincerity. Because of this mitzvah, we find that Avraham Avinu was willing, readily, 
to desert, Kaviyachol, desert Hashem at the doorstep and tell Hashem, wait, because I have something more important, more important than entertaining Hashem, is to go out and to invite strangers into my home to be hospitable to them. Achnosas Eichel is greater than Kabbalah's Pnei Hashchina. Now here too, the mitzvah of why did this false prophet go out of his way with his false prophecy to bring the true prophet to his home? Because of the Torah of Achnosas there was that one good point within him. What was his real point in bringing him? The fact is that there exists no greater hatred than that of an Amharitz, a non-religious Jew, to a Talmud Chachem. says in Pesachem that an Amharitz, let us say today, a Reformed Jew, a Reformed Rabbi, hates an Orthodox Rabbi, an Orthodox Jew, with such intensity more than a Goy hates a Jew. This is a clear statement in the Gemara. The hatred that an Amharitz has to a religious Jew, to a Talmud Chachem, to a learned Jew, is so great it surpasses even that <coughs> sinner of an Akram or Goy to a Jew. Now what is the reason for that hatred? Why does an Amharitz, why does a Reformed Jew so deeply hate a religious Jew? What has he got against them? The fact is that this hatred is rooted in one item. It's rooted in kinah, in jealousy. Deeply within himself, he is jealous of the superiority and knowledge of the Orthodox Jew, of the Talmud Chacham. That jealousy becomes a burning issue with him, and jealousy, of course, brings to this intense hatred. So this is shown, it is displayed by the Reform movement against the Orthodox, this hatred because of jealousy, of course, they would not admit to this jealousy, they would not admit, they would not degrade themselves, embarrass themselves by admitting that they are inferior. But in their, not just subconscious, in their conscious, in their silent consciousness, they are fully aware of the fact that they cannot measure up at all to the true Tamidei Chachamim, and therefore in this jealousy they tried to uproot, to destroy the Tamidei Chachamim. Same thing holds true in all eras and all generations, the hatred of the tzedekim to the Purushim, the time of Yanai HaMelech, where the tzedekim, the Karim, the Karites, those who had no faith in the Gemara, had the same hatred they tried to destroy the Tamid <coughs> They tried to er eradicate them completely, cause Bilbulim false accusations where they would actually be wiped out. But to go back to this case now, the case of this Navi, a false prophet, but privately, he, of course, he admired this true prophet. And he was jealous of him. He wanted to at least do one good thing, one good act, to have the cover, the honor, of having this prophet eat in his home, regardless of the consequences. To him, it was a deep honor to have a tzaddik, like Adehanavi, eat in his home, because privately he knew of the superiority of Adehanavi. As we see in the subsequent part of the story, that when Adai Hanavi left him, went down the road again, and after a while, people came back and reported a strange sight. They said that Adai Hanavi had left town riding on a mule. A mule is not a fighting animal. A mule is a very passive, quiet type of animal. They reported that this Adai on a mule had been attacked by a lion, and the lion had slain the prophet. 
When they passed that spot, they saw the lion standing over the body of Adol, the dead body of Adol. Next to him was the mule, and all th- the, both of them, that is, all three, seemed to be immobile, motionless. The lion did not attack the mule, nor did the lion mutilate the body of Adehanavi. Very strange sight. They came back and reported this, and this false prophet said, let me go further to complete the culminate the mitzvah. He rode out on his mule, very courageously approached the spot, took the body of Adol from beneath the lion, fearlessly, uh, with the true faith, the faith that the lion would not touch him because this lion was a messenger to perform just one single mission. He came with that one purpose, to punish Adol, to fulfill the prophecy of Hashem that Adol would die. The fact, Igmar says, why didn't the lion, still a lion by nature, should have attacked an animal, a mule? How come the lion did not act like a lion and kill this mule? The Gemara says, again, we see the Kayach, the power of Shimush. It was a case of a person, a Talmud who studies under a Talmud Chacham, performs a great act of Talmud Taita. He is a student of a Talmud Chacham. Greater than this, the Gemara says, Gadol Shimusha, one who serves the Talmud Chacham, is performing a greater act, a bigger mitzvah than one who studies under the Talmud Chacham. We find that even in the case of animals too, this mule had served his master, but he didn't have an ordinary master. He had a master who was a tzaddik Adehanavi. This mule, a, a dumb animal, as dumb as he was, he still served faithfully. He wasn't that dumb because in serving Ado, he had achieved a status. But the Gemara says that the animals of tzaddikim at times are superior even to the humans. We've had that in the Gemara and Chul, if you recall. The mule of Abhilchaz was so great, the Gemara says that the rabbis of the Gemara could not compare themselves to his greatness. And that's why he was the Zayda Kodesh. At one point, the story is told that Abhilchaz was davening Shmanesrei, his mule began to scream. When he finished, he came to the mule and saw that a poisonous snake had coiled itself around his mule's leg. He removed the snake, and he said to that his mule had served him well and deserved to be saved from the poisonous snake. But that day he had been slightly careless, had gone through a mud puddle and caused some mud to squirt on Zal's clothes, and that's why he was punished now with this moment of terror. We see the greatness of the mule in the story of the Gemara. Here, too, the Gemara says that this mule who had served Adahanavi, because of his service, he merited having this miracle done to him, a mule, and being saved from the lion. Now, the, this false prophet carried the body of Ado back to his city. There, he eulogized him, and he had him buried in great honor. Then, after his burial, this false prophet said to his sons, I give you an order, a command, that when I pass away, I want you to be carefully certain that you bury me directly next to the body of this prophet, because I foresee something dreadful that is going to happen in the future. I cannot tell what it is, but something horrible, and I must be close to this prophet. We find later in Navi, the Gemara tells us to, according to Navi, much later on, many generations later, when Yeshiyahu 
the good king of the Jews, began to purify the land from all the, the multitude of idols that infested it. And this act of purification, he said, we must destroy everything. In fact, even the evil people too, even the evil generations that had died, I want all the graves uprooted. Take out the bones, the skeletons of all these evil people and burn them. And then he turned and said, I see one seal. Seal means a monument, a very strange one. It's larger than the others, a very special type of monument. What is this seal? And they answer, this is the tzion of a great tzaddik, Navi of the past, Adahanavi. King Yeshiyahu said, and this one, let it remain, don't touch it. The rest of them, all the graves surrounding it, open the graves, take out the skeleton of the bones and burn them. There's one skeleton buried right next to this Navi, don't touch that one because it might upset the body of the Navi Adol. And this is how which was that, that was this false Navi that was buried next to him. This is how his body was left in peace. He foresaw this, and his body was saved, left in peace, and at the time when all others were destroyed. This was his reward for his meticulous care in performing the mitzvah of taking care of a mis mitzvah, a body that had no one to take care of it, the body of Adahanavi, bring it back to the city to bury it in honor, Yet this special monument placed over it, and that's how his own honor was saved many generations later. This was the case of Adel Hanavi against Yeravim Benavot, and what occurred to him later with the story of this false prophet. Here the Torah says that after all this transpired, Yeravim Benavot still did not learn his lesson. He still continued to maintain his attitude of idol worship. Now the Gemara says that after all this, suddenly, as a last resort, there was one final effort made to bring Yeravim Benavot back to the fold, back to Kedusha. And this attempt was made by Hashem himself. And this is a story that we have discussed many times in the past, and yet, there are a number of items that remained unclarified, and this, I believe, is a time to bring them to light. In fact, we're going to have reached this story very shortly in the Gemara, because the Gemara also deals with this era. So, it will make it simpler for us then, cover the ground faster then, because we cannot repeat ourselves on both shiurim. But the Gemara tells us, this, of course, is not found in the Navi. This is all in the Gemara, which refers to one Pasuk in the Navi, and this, the Gemara gleans this item. And after all this happened, Hashem himself spoke to Yeravim, and he told him, I give you an offer. I offer you the power, the mitzvah of tshuva. You have wandered, you have strayed, you have gone off to Avedizara, you have turned against the moon of Hashem, Chazerbach. Chazerbach means return and do tshuva. Although, this was, despite the fact that it is written, that a person who commits a sin, he's accepted. But the Gemara says that the chitei umachti, one who commits a sin, causes a chil Hashem in causing others to commit sins too, Ema speaking beyond Elias' tshuva. They do not give him the opportunity from heaven to do tshuva. So let us say, as the Shilat Kodesh says, every person can do tshuva if he wants to, there's no question about that. 
a maspika means that in heaven they don't go after him, they don't pursue it, try to bring him back. He's on his own, he's got to do chuba by himself. Let us say here, he was a chayti alachti, the door, of, the gates of chuba are open, but why did Hashem go after him to bring him back? If, as a chayti alachti, he must speak him. The answer is that because of his vast amount of schusm he had in the study of Taita, he had so much credit in Taita that all the thousands of halachas, dinim, pages of Gemara and so forth, all rose up to protect him, and this protection was materialized in the form of an approach, an attempt to bring him back to Chua. And so Hashem said to to Yerav Menavot, come back, do tshuva, and I have an offer for you. If you do tshuva, then ani vi'ata u'benishai netayel v'ganeidin. You return and do tshuva shlema, then I, this is Hashem speaking, I, and you, and the son of Yishai, that is King David, will walk together alone in Ganeidin. We will have a special place in Ganeidin reserved only for the three of us. So high a plane, so high a level will it be that no one else will be able to join us. Imagine what a heavenly type of bliss this will entail. Just I, you, and King David alone will walk in Ganeidin. Now this was taken to mean Kaviyachal. We're using the word walk. We cannot use the word walk when speaking about Hashem. And yet, we've got to use that in order to understand a topic, the Shabbat Esaizen. Kaviachal means as though it could be said. This means that they'd be going in single file. Single file means one, there is a leader, and there are two who follow. When Hashem said, I, you, and King David, that means single file, Hashem, First, we'll lead, and then Yeravim Benavot, and then King David third. So it seems obvious from Hashem's words that he said to Yeravim Benavot, if you do chill, you repent, I'll have you in Gedeidim, and you'll be second in line, which means you will be superior to, higher than King David. At this point, the Yeravim Benavot asked Hashem one question. It's a very nice offer, but Nibarash, who will lead? Who will be at the head? Who will be first? And Hashem said, Hashem replied immediately, Ben Yishai Barash. King David will lead. And Yavanavat's answer was, In Cain, if so, Leibaina, I refuse. I don't want it. Keep your offer back to idol worship, back to eternal death. Which was the result. The Gemara says, the result was that Yavanavat was wiped out and he received. He could never go to Gan they received Gehenna forever. But in this exchange, very strange, because Yerav Menavot was clever, he was learned, he was advanced, he was great, he had a great mind. And surely he could understand simple matters. First place, what kind of a question did he ask? You take a simple diagram, Hashem did say, I, you, and King David, which means to imply Clearly, that you will be in front of King David. Why did Yerav Menavot ask Nibarush, who was first? Secondly, why should Yerav Menavot, 
if he is that wise and that clever, by what right should he say, who's first, King David or myself? If King David is first, I don't want it. It's not bad being third in a class like that. Besides which, besides with common sense, could anybody expect that as a reward for worshipping idols and causing idol worship among all the Jews, the reward will be to become greater than King David? What logic lies behind that? Why should he expect that? Isn't it enough he'll have his sins forgiven? And it'll be he'll rise up to a status second to King David? And what right should he expect this? Now, these are two difficult questions. And we have a, an answer in depth. In fact, a number of answers. We'll try this very briefly. There are two ways of taking Hashem's statement. Hashem said, I, you, and King David means that I will go and then you will go, where? In front of me. King David, in front of you. I, you and King David, which means that King David will be first, you, Hashem, Kaviachol is, Maras Tanibus, third. Or, I, you and King David means Hashem first, Kavanavat second, King David third. At this point then, Kavanavat asked Hashem, fine, I don't know which one is meant by it, I want to know which one comes first. Will I be before King David or King David before me? Why did he ask that? By what right should he ask that? Because Yedavmanavot at least had Amuna Sadiqim, the way each Jew today should have. He said in firm, complete faith that David HaMelech was a Tzadik Yemes who never committed a sin in his life. The whole farce, the story with Bathsheba, Uriah, as we explained many times, Yemaras says was only written in the Torah to teach people the potential, the power of tshuva. But King David himself was so pure, Libi Chalabikirbi, his Yitzhara was completely destroyed. It was a corpse. There was no Yitzhara. He had no desire whatsoever, no evil desire, no Yitzhara. This was only a story made up between himself and Hashem to teach tshuva to future generations. But this Yerav the said, I know he is a tzaddik. I know he's a tzaddik emet. I know he never committed a sin. So who is supposed to get the higher Ganadin? Who stands higher, a tzaddik or a bal tshuva? One of those tshuva. This is a debate in the Gemara. V'yechon v'shlokesh, v'yechon v'dimai. And the Yerav said, I maintain that as a bal tshuva, I should receive a higher position than King David. Hashem said to Yerav Nevat, that's the point. When I said to you, well, being an Aiden, I, you, King David, that means you'd be before King David. Why? Because I gave you a chance to do tshuva me'ahava. Tshuva purely out of love for Hashem, nothing else. That kind of tshuva is higher than a tzaddik, no question about it. But if, as you have just now proven your tshuvas for the sake of reward, that's not tshuva me'ahava. That kind of tshuva is not greater than a tzaddik. A tshuva me'ahava is higher than a tzaddik, but not a tshuva because of schar. Hence, you do not deserve to be ahead of King David, which, of course, Rabbanavat rejected. He still wanted that. The second point was, though, that when a Malchua, Hashem said to Rabbanavat, even if I should grant you, granted that a Malchua is higher than its son, because the Gemara states it without differentiating. So let us say that we grant you a Malchua is higher than its son, you would have to be higher than King David. But, there's another factor that must be considered. And then as we find that 
Yitzchak and Rivka both will inspire for the same thing. That Rivka should give birth. And it says, Vayyasavay Hashem, Hashem accepted the tefillah of Yitzchak Avinu before Rivka Imenu. Why? Because a tzaddik, a son of a tzaddik, is higher than a tzaddik who was born from a Russian. Yitzchak Avinu, the son of Abraham Avinu, whereas Rivka, as great as she was, she still came from her origin, was from the Suel, the Shon. In this case, even if you, you, Yeravim, are a Balchuva higher than a tzaddik, there still is the Zechus Ovis, David Ben Yishai. Ben Yishai, not David, but Ben Yishai. Why did Hashem say Ben Yishai? Because of his background. Because his father was so great and so pure, he was one of those four who died only because of the sin of the serpent and other Manishan. Because death had been decreed for the world in the time of other Manishan, otherwise he would have lived forever. Because he never committed a sin. So King David at Tzaddik, the son of such a rich background, it's surely higher than Yeravon, the son of Nevot, who was Micha, who was Zimri, who was a Russia. You cannot expect that with your lowly background, you should stand higher than at Sadiq ben Sadiq. This was the answer of Hashem ben Yishai Baresh, and of course, again rejected by Yeravon ben Nevot. Now additionally, to explain a little deeper, Masha doesn't explain the, the difference between a Balchua and a Tzadik. And this Masha obviously is based on a statement in the Zaydi Kaddish. The Zaydi Kaddish explains the difference too. Why do we find sometimes that a Balchuva is higher than a Tzadik? Is a Tzadik is higher than a Balchuva? The Zaydi Kaddish is stunned. The Balchuva reaches the, the Chuva. Chuva is Toshuv K, return the K, which means he has to perfect the K, which stands for the Shechina, letter He. You have twice letter He, Yud K and Vav K. So Vav K means a chuva tato, a lower type of chuva. Yud K is a higher type of chuva. It's very difficult to understand what's meant by that. The Zaydi Kaddish, it's not for us to, to really understand that. But with this beer, we, even that we can understand though. The answer is that a person, a Balchuva is higher than a Tzaddik. It's very difficult to say that. Balchuva means one who's committed sins and he gets higher than a Tzaddik who didn't commit sins. Why? The answer is a Balchuva who who had any sight, he had a test. He was given a test, he was tempted. He was drawn, lured into committing a sin. He was tempted until he came to the act, and then he battled. He battled, he fought with all his power, all his strength. And he overcame his Yitzhahara. He went out and did not commit the sin. He is a Gibber, he is powerful. He is a Balchuva who had this bad machshava, this bad thought, he had this bad intention, but he overcame it and won out against the Yitzhahara, and therefore he is greater than a tzaddik who lived a life of peace without having to go through a test like this. But if he was lured into this, he was tempted and he succumbed, he fell victim, he committed the act, the sin, and then he did shuva, he's not as great as a tzaddik. That is a lower type. That's mass and action. That's the lower hey. Both K is the asiya. That kind of shuva is lower than a tzaddik. One who does tshuva in yudke, which is machshava, which means he had the thought, but never allowed it to manifest itself, to come out into action, to materialize, that kind of tshuva is higher than itself. <coughs> this explanation we can understand at Zayi College, which is a mystery, clarifies that. To add to this, one more item, the Zayi College itself says, explains another point which will clarify the words, the difference, and the positions. 
when we say that Hashem said you that is I and you and King David will walk in Galat single file one is going to lead the Rebbe asked me Barosh who is going to be the head who is going to lead Hashem said King David this he did not want as Lady Kodesh says look at this carefully because we could see why he didn't want it. Not that he rejected the whole idea, but he didn't want this form. This order was unpleasant for him in a much deeper sense. First sense was Hashem said, I go first, Hashem first, then then King David. Who leads? Hashem. The other case was King David leads, which means it's a reverse. King David leads, and then Yedav Menavat, and then finally, Hashem. This, Yedavmanavat, and all his knowledge knew was no good. Because as Lady Kaddish says, that when you have the Shekhinah Bereshon, when you follow the Shekhinah, then you are Neneh Mizeva Shekhinah. Following you have the Hanor that comes forth, that emanates from the Shekhinah. Greatest possible pleasure, says Vayechlo Ishto, they were Neneh Mizeva Shekhinah, these great Sadiqim. They had Hanor, pleasure from the purity from the great heavenly light of the Shekhinah. But when the Shekhinah modestly says, you go first, that's not for the good of the person. Because when he is first, the Ziv HaShekhinah is behind him. You cannot have the Hanor out of that Ziv HaShekhinah. This is a secret to the statement. That why did Yedavim, who was clever, who was shrewd, why did he say, I don't want that King David be first? Though this means that I'm still ahead of the Shekhinah, ahead of Hashem. It's some honor going before Hashem. He said, I don't want that honor because I don't mind if King David goes first. That he wouldn't have minded as long as the Shekhinah is ahead of us. Then I'd be third even. But let the Shekhinah be ahead so we could draw from the Ziva Shekhinah. This was the basic reason of his objection. And of course, despite this, he was overruled and he turned away from Hashem. He remained evil. The Torah tells us, though, that one of the reasons for his downfall was the fact that he had a chance to rise very high. His rising high was due to the fact that he reprimanded King Solomon, Shlomo himself, why he had built gates, big gates to block the entrances to Yerushalayim, large entrances in the Chaim wall. They built something to block that entrance making it more difficult for Jews to enter the Yerushalayim. You remanded King Solomon about this, and it was good, because this Musa was very good, but he was punished because he said it publicly. This was disrespect to any Jew, especially to Shlomoch. The result was, of course, that, as we'll see in later history next week's Navi story, that the period of Yedav Menavot's ruling lasted for many years, despite his evil, and what happened afterwards will reflect on the difference between himself and his son. There's an interesting story in the Zayi Kodesh about that we'll take it up next time. In any event, we have to derive ourselves the lessons from this shear in the importance of Emunah Ba'ashem. And Emunah and Tzadikim, these two go side by side. They cannot ever be separated. And the source of this Emunah, we will be Zayi ourselves to witness the coming of Mashiach ben David and the rebuilding of the base Hamikdash in our time. 
a Yula Shlema for the entire Klan Yisrael, a Simcha Kolius, which is the Sea of Sakhzena, and Yenim Shemus Yenim Rechem, Amen, Be Amen.